Okay, good morning. Today's daf is daf hey. Today's shir is the Ilu Nishma Shlomo Ben Aaron. May memory be a blessing. It's also for a refuah shleima of Yitzchak Yehuda Ben Miriam and Chanachayka Bas Boba Michla. May they have a complete and speedy recovery. Okay, so we got right to the bottom of Dalad Amud Beis 4b, the second last word, and it's a quote from the Mishnah. So the Mishnah says, "Umataknin es kilkulei hamayim sherbushus harabim." You're even on Cholamoid, you're allowed to fix um, the water sources in Rishus Harabim. Um, Yot Rash says, for example, if uh, stones fell in um, or something, or the sides of the well collapsed so that people can still drink on the festival, etc. But as we'll see, um, we've mentioned at the beginning of the Masechta, remember, we take as the starting point that all Melochas are Asur. And the Gomorrah is slowly uncovering, the Mishnah and the Gomorrah slowly reveal the leniencies I when Melocha on Cholamoid is permitted. And over the last few days we discussed primarily Dovar Ha'avet and Tirchi That if you will suffer a loss, then you can do Melocha on Cholamoid. And if, uh, however, if it's Tirchi if it takes excessive work, then it would not be okay. Even even if you're going to suffer a loss, you're not allowed to do excessive labor on Cholamoid. Now, the Gemara moves to um, for the public, like if it's in the public domain. So the Gemara makes a deal. It says, Chatita in Chafira law. You're allowed to do Chatita, but not Chafira. What's the difference? Chatita is clearing out an old water source. For example, stones and other rubble and stuff, maybe a bit of sand fell in, you can clear it out. But you're not allowed to do chavir, you're not allowed to dig a new bar, a new hole, a new cistern on Cholamoid. This is this that it limits, that it says you're not allowed to dig, dig a new water source for the public, is where the public doesn't need it. But if the public need it, then you would even be allowed to dig a new, a new uh, bore, a new water source from scratch. So now we see, so again, what would be the problem of digging one from scratch? Is the excessive labor. Rabbi Yaakov just told us in the name of Rabbi Yochanan that this restriction on excessive work doesn't apply when it's for the public. Now we're going to challenge this. Um, we're going to, that's what we, we're going to spend most of the, about halfway down the page, analyzing, discussing this. Is this, does it work fit with all the prices? That for the public, you're allowed to do even excessive labor that you're allowed to dig a hole. You're telling me that if the public needed, you would, you would, would you be allowed to do it? We learned in a braiser, you're allowed to scrape out the wells and the different water, you know, borrow sichnum aros at different types of water reservoirs, if they um, for an individual and obviously for the public. Okay, so that's choytetin. The ain choyfrim borrow sichnum aros shall rabim. You're not allowed to dig new borrow sich and new water reservoirs for the public. And definitely not for an individual. My love, what must be the scenario? When the public need it. Why would it be this? If it's contrasting an individual versus the public, it must be because the public needs this water source. 
So the Gemara says, The case is where the public does not need it. And he says, Contrast it with the Yochid. Then, um, Sorry, sorry. So that's uh, so we want to say it's no proof this brisa, because this brisa could be where the public does not need it. So the so the brisa wants to say, okay, so we're discussing a case where it's not needed. He says the kavase kavayochid she'ain yochid tzorichlem. So if remember the brisa brought both regarding the public and regarding an individual, and now we're saying ah, oh, so we're saying it must be a case where the public does not need it. Says, oh, well, then we got to contrast it with the private individual and got to say where he doesn't even need it, where he doesn't need it. Would you be allowed to clean out a, a reservoir on Cholamoy that you don't need? There's another Brisa which teaches, If you have these water reservoirs belonging to an individual, you can fill them up with water. You're not allowed to scrape out the rubble that's fallen into them, and you're not allowed to plaster, uh, fill their cracks. But if it belongs to the public, then you could. Now this Bryce is clearly saying that a, a yochid can't do chatita. And must be where he doesn't need it. Otherwise, it's in blatant contradiction of the above Brisa, which says that a Yochid can do Chatita. So, the, the, the most straight way to learn would be that when can an individual clean out his well if he needs it, I guess, for Cholomoyed or for the festival? When would he not be allowed to if he doesn't need it? But now, but what does that mean? We're just saying that this second Brisa is where. The pra- where the individual does not need it, whereas the previous price must be where the individual does need it. So that way of learning falls away. It says, Okay, so you want to tell me that the first price we learned is where the individual does need it. And we're going to contrast it and say this, or we're going to keep the theme and say it must be a case also where the rabim does need it. The, the public, the community does need it. Then why would Khafira digging a new reservoir, a new well or system, would, why would that be also? We learned in another Just going to correct the text here to make it a little bit easier to read based on uh, emendations that the commentaries have here. So, um, so just going to go back, sorry. We learned in the price of Boros, his water reservoir, belonging to a Yochid. You can fill them up with water. And you can scrape them out. You can plaster over their cracks, fix their cracks. However, you can't plaster them. But if it belongs to the public, where they need them, you can even dig new ones or plaster them with lime. So, clearly from this brisa, you can dig new wells, new cisterns for the public where they need them. Which now the Gemara asks, wait, but Elakasha Kamaisa, but now the first brisa is a difficulty. Again, the first price was the one that we started with, which said that regarding digging a uh, bor, 
if it belongs to the public, it is Asur, and I don't even have to come on and say regarding an individual. But that price, so, so now we've got two contradictory prices. We've, we've, we're clearly leaning to one way. We've brought two prices that seem to imply, as we want to learn, that for the public you can dig a new bar. But how are you going to explain the first price we brought on the top of the page? So, Ella Kasha HaKamaisa, the first price is difficult. So the Gemara answers, Toritz Hachi. Answer as follows. Or fix, yeah, fix the above price as follows. Choytetin boros shel yochid. You can clear out a well when an individual needs it. Ah, you have a what you have a borehole in your back garden and it's uh, got clogged. So on Cholamoid, you want to fix it for Yomtov, you'd be allowed to do that. And obviously, I don't even have to come and tell you. Obviously, if it's for the public. It's the shul's uh, water system that's messed up. There you would even be allowed to dig it. However, you cannot dig a new well, a new, a new water source, a new water reservoir for the public, when they don't need them. And obviously, you can't for a yochid. Because if a yochid does not require it, you would not even be allowed to do chatita. You'd not even be allowed to clean them out. So let's say you didn't need your borehole water over yomtiv. Let's say you're going away for yomtiv, then you wouldn't be allowed to clear out on cholamoid because it's not. You don't need it. So that's our. Conclusion on this piece, we're now going to bring Rav Ashi, who makes a deal in Al Mishnah, to say that it must be learning the same lines, but just to clarify the halacha that we've come out with. So, obviously, for a private individual, you're allowed to do malacha on cholamoid or get him water where he needs the water, but again, that's where it is not tirchi yatsaira, it's not excessive labor. Um, however, for the community, you could even dig a new bore for them. You can do excessive labor where they need it, where yeah, where it's for the where it's for the public and they need it. Um, something you should always try to keep in the back of your mind. It's not always so easy from the Gomorrah, but it will make uh, these Gomorrahs seem uh, like some of the Gomorrahs seem very subtle and um, hard to tell the difference. Is but remember, we're trying to get rules of what you are and aren't allowed to do on Cholamoid. Now the halachas of Cholamoid. Surprisingly, oh, let's finish Ravashi and then I'll say this point. Omar Ravashi, Mandisi Nami Daika Diktani, you can actually deduce this from our Mishnah. It says, Osin Koltor, Rabim. It says you can do all the needs of the Rabim. The Mishnah gave a list. It says you can fix the roads, you can fix the mikvahs, and etc. And you can do all their anything they need. It says, Kol What's it coming to include? You've already given me a list of things you're allowed to do. So love latuye chafiris are not coming to include digging. So that's Rav Ashi's um, diuk that yeah must be coming to include. You can even dig a new well or a new board for the public. It says oh lot not necessarily latuye hodatanya maybe it's coming to include. What's mentioned by the following brisa yoitzin lekavi says hadrochim agents can go out to see that the Roads, if the roads need to be cleared from thorns or other obstacles, will attack an esar 
or to um, fix the streets. Besa astartiot, and it seems these were the markets. Velimud, velamud es hamikvos, and measure the mikvos. V'chol mikvah she'ain ba'arbim say any mikvah that is doesn't have 40 say that it's deficient, it's not kosher. Meraglin latocha arbim say you can uh, direct uh, more water in it so that it's the correct uh, weight. You're allowed to do all these things on cholamoid. Uminayin she'im lo yotsu v'asu kol elu. How do we know that if the agents of, I guess, the public don't do this, shekol damim shenishbechu shom mali aleim akosiv ki ilu heim shofchem, that if any blood was spilt because of it, the Torah will consider it as if they spilt it. Talmud loyma, as the pasuk says, for your lecho damim, the blood will be on your head. Ah, v'ho behejek. So, so before we come to discuss this price, the main point we bring it out is we've just brought a list, another list of things that the community, or that at least the community officials, must make sure get done on Cholamoyed. And it does not include digging a new well. So maybe when our Mishnah says you can do everything on Cholamoyed, the everything is coming to include this list, not necessarily digging a new well. So Gomorrah says, nah, all those are actually explicit in the Mishnah. It says, You can fix the roads, and the streets. Now, if you read it, the above, even though the Mishnah, the above price are phrased it slightly differently, it's all included. So, So, what is this phrase? And you can do anything for the public. It must be coming to include digging a new well. We see conclusively that you can dig a new well. So as we just yeah, so just to emphasize this last point, the Mishnah brought a list and then said what and said and anything they need, anything is coming to include a lot something else. And that is coming to include um, even digging a new well, a new system for the public on Cholamoid. Okay, and that so it takes a lot of effort, but since it's for the public, it's permitted. So just to clarify again regarding the general principles of the laws of Cholamoid, generally for an individual, you would not be allowed to do something that takes Tirchiyaseira, excessive effort. However, if it's for the public, then you could. If it's for the community or the public, then you would be allowed to. Um, Yeah. Now, just two interesting points on this. So this last line, interesting. We said that the, they must send out agents. So obviously, that would be whoever's in charge of the community, the municipality or the government or the, the heads of the community have to check out agents to make sure that the roads aren't ruined in disrepair and that the mikvahs are the right measurement. And he says, whoever's, if they don't do this, any blood that is spilt is on their head. They're held accountable. And what does that mean? That means, I mean, we got we can go from the simple to the extreme. If you, if someone's walking along this road and they st- and they get a thorn through their foot, well, that's the that that's on the head of the or whoever's let, let's call it the municipality. That's on their head. Or similarly, if someone's uh, walking along and they their car gets damaged in a pothole, you could say that it's on the head of the municipality. Any and obviously chas v'shalom if it turns out to be much more dangerous. Um, Rashi Kisbayad here brings, if someone's trying to get away from uh, robbers or whatever, and he can't because the roads are in such disrepair, and they end up murdering him, it's the Torah holds his blood 
on the agents who were supposed to make sure that the roads were in good condition so that someone could escape uh, any dangerous uh, situations. So that's uh, quite a responsibility placed on the, let's call it the municipality or those who are in charge of keeping the roads and the public services in uh, good, uh, good condition. I was trying to think, on the one hand, I guess that's a huge responsibility for the government and I guess uh, that's why that's where our taxes and stuff are supposed to be going to to make sure that all these things are kept up um, it would also be on the flip side a responsibility to make sure that you are I guess paying your taxes etc don't want obviously we can go into technical issues what happens if they have, um, there's corruption and they're abusing it but that would be a general thing to keep in mind that if the municipality is not taking care of these things or the officials who are in charge of it don't send out it seems in those it would be uh, the basin or whatever don't send out the agents to make sure these things the blood is on their head now just another one deeper point on this that makes it a little more interesting is so the, the pasuk here there are two similar pasuk here the pasuk says damim. this pasuk is from Beisdin it says if Beisdin does not judge correctly I and put murderers to death they are liable for the blood. So this, this, that's the one source for this pasuk. Um, and we would extend that to any time, I guess, that the Bayesian or the officials are supposed to take a responsibility and keep things safe, and they don't. Are keeping murderers off the street or keep things, keep the streets in good order so that people don't injure themselves. It's on their head. Tosfos bring another explanation that this is the pasuk from Ma'ake. That's the famous case. There's a mitzvah to build a fence around your roof obviously that's a roof that people use and you have to put a fence so that no one falls off and it says if you don't the dam is on your head now that there's a lot of interesting things to discuss regarding that mitzvah of marker and how it extends but it's just something to be aware of that any time there's something dangerous in our house that would be let's call it a tolda subcategory of this mitzvah to put a fence so obviously if you have a roof or a balcony that people go on you would have to put a fence around. That would be the straight bracha. But it would be the same halacha regarding a swimming pool. Or they extend it to a medicine cabinet. You shouldn't. You must make sure to have your medicine, especially if they're dangerous, and especially where kids might get to, to be put away or locked away so that the, um, children or people don't injure themselves on it. Um, dangerous dog might be a similar thing. There, are other, there might be other issues with a dangerous dog to, to make sure you lock it away but that would all be um, to make this fence around your house so that no harm comes to other people and if it does chatz for shalom there would be um, as the post says it will be as if you spilt it now yeah, just uh, just what I was mentioning earlier halfway through the sukkah I wanted to finish first was that we've got to try to keep in mind we're building the principles to work out what is Osur and what is Mutar on Cholamoid. As I started off, she was saying by the, the general categories, we kind of, the Gomorrah takes kind of an assumption that everything is Osur. And we're trying to find the scenarios where it's Mutar. As you'll see, it's not so straightforward to say that. But also interesting on that is it comes, as we said, Cholamoid, if not the whole Isumaloch on Cholamoid being Drabonan, at least the determining what is Dorais and what is Drabonan, according to Rashi holds that doing Melach on Cholamoid is an Isu Doraisa. Nevertheless, he also says that, however, the Torah gave it over to Chazal. So the, the sages had the, the option of choosing what is Osir and what is Mutar. Um, it's, it's strange because 
it's much more complicated. When you try to work out what you're allowed to do on Cholamoid and what you're not allowed to do, it's, I, I don't know if it's ironically or just uh, surprisingly complicated. You say, okay, if it's a Torah law, then there'd be a lot of discussion and you have to work out exactly what the Torah wants and what it, what it forbids and what it permits. And when it's a rabbinic law, it should be more straightforward. seems to actually be the opposite. When you have something like Cholamoid, which is up to the rabbis, it gets very, very tricky. So try build the principles of what cases is it mutar, what, or at least in what scenarios is it mutar, what's the principle behind that case, and what, when, when does that, are there exceptions to that rule, or likewise, like for example, just Tirchi Yaseiru, we see it's an exception generally if you will lose money, well, you can do it on Cholamoid, but there's an exception if it's excessive effort. Regarding doing something for the public, oh, you're allowed to do that on Cholamoid, and even if it's excessive effort. Okay, let's go on to the next point. Mitzayinus Akvoros. You're allowed to mark graves on Cholamoid. Now, remember, for them, not so much for us, we would notice it, but for them, marking graves was much more important. You had people who were careful to stay tohar, so like Kohanim, etc., so they could eat truma. You had people going up to the base of Mikdash all the time, so they had to remain tohar, so they would mark graves. They used to mark it by pouring lam, as we'll see, um, nearby around the graves to mark them so that people would know to be uh, careful if definitely if they're carrying something that shouldn't become Tome, but even to be aware if they become Tome. So you're allowed to do that even on Cholomoid. So Omar Abishom, what's the source that you have to mark graves? Where do we see in the Torah an allusion to this that you have to mark graves? And I think that we're going to see nine different sources. So the first one is, this is Rabbi Shimon Pazi, Talmud Lama, the Torah says, You will see the a bone of a man and you will build a marker by it. This is, this is in the prophecy of Yechezkel in the future after the great battle of Gog Magog, there will be bone shards all over. So when you see it, mark it. says, okay, that's all very well from Yechezkel onwards, or at least from the future when Yechezkel is referring to that you have to mark graves. What about in their times, or what, what happened from when they entered Eretz Israel or up until um, Yechezkel? So, he says, wait, well, you're also going to run into trouble with the teaching of Rav Chizda, because Rav Chizda said, now this is regarding um, a Kohen who is not circumcised. Now, in the Torah, is it clear that a, that a Kohen who is not circumcised can't serve in the base of Mikdash? But it's very clear that he can't. So, Rav Chizda said, we don't know, see that a Kohen who is not uncircumcised can't serve in the base. We learn that out from Yechezkel. This is any uncircumcised person with his uncircumcised of the heart. It seems like he's a heretic or an apostate. Or he's someone who is uncircumcised of the flesh. He's not allowed to enter my sanctuary. You're not allowed to go into the base of Mikdash. Um, at least to, to serve there. It says, So before Yechezkel, how did the Kohanim know that they couldn't go in the base of Mikdash if they were uncircumcised? So, it must have been a tradition, and Yechezkel came and, and said this as a posuk, and so, so to here, they must have had a tradition that you must mark stone, must mark uh, where there's Tumah, and Yechezkel came and sh just put it down as a pasuk. Mm. 
Now, a second source, Rabbi Avo, Rabbi Avo says, how do we know that you need to mark graves from here? The Tomei, Tomei Yikra, a Mitzorah must sit there and call out that he's Tomei. He's, he's warning everyone, don't come near me, I'm a Mitzorah, I'm Tomei. So you see, oh, so just as he has to warn people, so too we have a responsibility to mark graves to warn people. Rabbi Uziel, Rabbi Uziel, the son, the grandson of Rabbi Uziel, Rabbi the Great. Tuma Korolov, sorry. Um, yeah, oh, sorry, so he gave the same answer. Tuma Korolov, Omar Parosh. Oh, this is coming to teach us that you have to warn someone to stay away from Tuma. We need it for a different teacher. It's for Tomei, Tomei Yikra. He will call out Tomei. He needs to inform the Rabbim of his pain. And then everyone will daven for him. He says, no, the reason that this Mitzorah calls out that he's Tomei is not so that you, that people know to avoid him, but so that people feel sorry for him and daven for him. An amazing, amazing concept is that, I mean, we could say a Mitzorah, it's extra hard for him to daven for himself because he's uh, ruined his connection to Hashem by speaking Lashon Hora or the other ten Averas that we learn that someone gets Mitzorah for, gets Torahs for, but either way, you, you let your people know, you let, you let the people know, you let the community know, you let your friends know that you need help and that they can daven, can they please daven for you. Um, but again, it's not coming to tell us that he needs to warn people to stay away from Tuma. It says, no, No, it could have just said, Tome Yikra, he calls out that he's Tome. Why does it say it twice? Tome, Tome? Ah, oh, so we can learn both droshes. One is that you warn people that you're Tome so that they don't become Tome unnecessarily or, and end up touching Truma or Kodshim, things that it would be a problem if they became Tome. And you also, the other one is to teach us that you call out your Tomei so that people can dive in for you. Abai says from here, You shouldn't put a stumbling block before someone. Ah, very interesting. If you, I mean here it's almost passively, but if you leave a grave unmarked and someone ends up becoming Tomei and eating Truma or going into the base Amigdash, you should have removed the stumbling block. You should have put a marker by the grave. Rav Papa, Omar Rav Papa says, V'omar salu salu panecho derech. No, the Pasuk says, pave away, um, pave it, clear the way. I says, you've got to make sure that they're good roads. Rav Chanina, Omar, herimu mirsho miderech ami. Remove stumbling blocks from the way of my people. I again source that you must remove uh, mark graves so that they don't cause him to stumble. Rabbi Yeshua Brader video Marvoid Vodatolahem S Haderachelchuba in let them know the way that they should go on. I show them the way, show them the way. So show them where to avoid if they're graves. Mazutra Omar, the Hizartemes Bene Israel mitumasom warn Bene Israel that they don't become Tomei. I put a marker on a grave or where there's Tomei buried. Ravashi, you must guard my guarding. Also, put extra um, extra measures to guard people from becoming Tomei. Ravino Omar, the ninth one, someone who sets the way, I will show him the salvation of Hashem. So those are different sources where we find allusions to the um, 
to this obligation to mark graves. Or if you know that there's tumor buried somewhere, to mark it. And Tosos, interesting, says, yeah, obviously they're not arguing with each other. It's just which one, which the different Amorayim felt that a different posuk was the clearest expression of this principle, or which posuk came to mind when they were thinking about it. Omri Bishur, now we just mentioned that posuk of of anyone who evaluates his actions, he will see the salvation of Hashem. Shenemar, as it says, the som derech al tikri v'som elo v'shem I don't read it as v'som derech. Let me just check. I'm getting it the right way. Um, Yeah, instead of reading it as the sum as who like sets the way, who makes sure things are clear, read it as the shom, like he pays attention or he evaluates. If someone is um, pays attention to their actions, weighs up. Rashi says here, he says he weighs up the value, what he loses out for doing the the mitzvah versus reward. or the what he gains from doing the avera against the loss. I, if you truly make a calculation, is it worth doing the deed? Whether it's a, to do a mitzvah and you don't really feel like doing it or it's an avera that you want to do, that's how you end up with Hashem's salvation. And now we're going to give a story to illustrate um, a scenario where someone weighed up the value of what he would receive, what he would gain versus the loss. It's Rabbi Rabbi Yanai had this student who every day in Shur he would ask him these difficult questions, challenge him. The Shabbos at the Regillah on the Shabbos by the festival, I, when they, the whole community was gathered there, lo He would never ask him questions. Kori and Rabbi Yanai said about him, Ah, this person's going to be saved by Hashem. Um, why? Because he weighed up. Granted, he wanted to know the answer to his question, and granted, he wanted to understand the shear better. Sometimes, if you ask the question in the middle of the shear, you're going to stump the rabbi, and it might be a little bit embarrassing if the whole community is there. Obviously, in your shiver, you understand that it's a debate and it's a discussion, and everyone's constantly learning. But if in the middle of a public shear, um, you st- you ask the rabbis all these difficult questions. You're going to cause him to lose his flow. You're going to embarrass him if he doesn't know the answer. So rather, he weighed up that it's better to not improve my learning and not embarrass my Rebbe. So he weighed up his actions and that's why he said he deserves Yesh Elohim, the salvation of Hashem. Okay, now, the following um, first point, just the following is going to go into a deeper explanation of this regarding marking graves when you have to. It seems it might be specifically on Cholamoid. If it's not Cholamoid, obviously we would be much more, there's reasons to say to be more liberal and in doubts, etc. Mark the grave. As we'll see a bit down the page, there's actually reasons, there might be reasons to not mark a grave. Um, but obviously we'll go into that a bit more. Um, but that's what this is teaching regarding marking graves. Now, just as a little background, we know that a mace, a corpse, can transmit tumor in various ways. The primary reason that we want to mark a grave is because of tumor's oil. I parts of the mace that could cause tumor through oil. Remember, oil is when the tumor spreads either if you're in the same room as the mace or just under the same covering as the mace or if you step over it 
or if it, if it is over you, all those cases are Tumas Ohel. No contact just by being under the same cover or being um, touching it. Now, remember, regarding a, a mace, if there's a part of a mace that only transmits Tumas through touching, it's, you don't really have to mark it. Because if it's visible, well, then people will see it and be careful not to touch it. If it's buried, well, then you can't touch it. Or if it only transmits tumor through moving. Again, you have the same thing. People will see it, so they won't move it. Or it's buried, and then they can't. So the primary concern when we discuss this marking of graves and the importance of it to save people from becoming tome is in, this, is in a case where it is Tumas Ahel. You might see a few exceptions to that, but that would be the general principle. So, Ton Rapon and Ein Mitzayinim lo al kazais min ames, velo al etzem kasa'ora. You don't have to mark a grave if it's a kazais of corpse flesh, nor if it's a bone the size of a barley. Velo al dover sha'eno matame ba'ahel, nor for anything that doesn't transmit Tumas Ahel. You would have to mark the grave if it was a spine or a skull because those do tra- a full spine or a full skull or some say both together but they do transmit tumors oil. Or a rov binyan if you have a majority of the skeletal form. Interesting enough elsewhere it learns out that that's two shins and a thigh bone. That would consider a majority of the skeleton's form. Or if it's most a majority of the bones of the mace. In all those cases, it transmits Tumas Ohel, and therefore you would mark the grave. Now, another principle the Ein Mitzayin Alavados. You don't have to mark a grave where everyone knows for certain that there's Tumas there. You don't have to, if you, you're walking around the cemetery and you see there's an unmarked grave, you don't have to mark it. Because everyone knows to be careful in the cemetery from Tumas. It says, Ava Mitzayin Alasvekos, you have to. Worry about marking the doubts when it's not so clear that there's tumor there and you know there's tumor there. Obviously, we'll clarif- clarify this point. But Sveikos, um, as we'll see, sometimes people bury them, mason at the nearest fitting place. Um, so therefore, a tree or a, or a protrusion from a rock is a good place to, if you're on the way to the cemetery and for whatever reason you can't make it to the cemetery. They would bury their mason under a tree or under a protruding rock on the way there. So those would be places where it's not Varaya Mesa. If you know there is one there, you should mark it. Um, so that's what, what are the, the following are places where there could be corpses. Soichachos, um, trees, either canopy under a tree. Remember, if there's a mace buried anywhere under the tree, the tumor will spread out all over under the tree, wherever the, wherever the branches reach. Or parois, or protruding stones. Or base apras and a base apras. We'll discuss base apras further down the page. Now, now it says, where do you put the marker? Now remember, they used to mark the graves, as I mentioned, with just by pouring lime over them. So it would get a, a water marking but now it's all it's on the ground it's ground level so if you're walking along and you and you you might only notice the the marking when you're right there so that's why it says you don't put the marking directly over the tumor because then you will cause 
Tahara is to be lost. Someone will either carry him to her and they'll become Tome or he'll become Tome and touch Tahara. So, oh, so, so where should you You'd make a, a marker a little bit around the grave? But then this other principle says, but don't distance the, the marker too far from the grave because you don't want to take away unnecessary land from Eretz Yisrael. Remember where the corpse is buried and it's got this marker. You can't use that land anymore. You can't uh, plant there, etc. So rather, so you put it not right by the corpse because then it will be too late by the time someone notices the marker, but also at not too far from the corpse. You don't do too big a ring around the corpse because then you're eating into the land of Eretz Yisrael. Now the Gemara is just going to analyze the Bryce and that will continue into tomorrow's shear. But the first point is, We said one of the things that you don't have to mark is if there's just a Kazais of the mace. But we know that a Kazais of the mace does transmit Tumas Ohel. It says, We learned in a Bryce, One of the things that transmit Tumas through oil is a Kazais Mena Mace. So Amorav Papa, Rav Papa says that the case is an exact because it's going to shrink. And it's better to burn truma and kodshim over it for one month, for one short time. And you don't burn it forever. I very interesting. He's saying this. Remember, again, the only concern is Tumas Ohel, because if it's buried, you can't touch it and move it. So the only concern is you'll step over it. Now, if it's an exact Kazayas, within probably a few days, it's going to have decomposed to be less than a Kazayas. So it's not going to transmit Tumor. So don't mark it there. Because if you mark the grave, people are going to treat it as Tome forever. And anything that accidentally comes, passes over the grave, whatever, a person who realized that he accidentally walked over the grave is going to be Tome and you're going to end up burning Truma and stuff. So that's not so good. Rather just leave it, let it decompose a little. And you know what, in the interim, there might be the odd case, but that's not, it's, it's outweighed by rather letting it decompose before. I think it's interesting that they set the exact thing as when it's a Kazais Mitzumtzam. I mean, if it's two kazais, then it would be two weeks. If it's an exact kazais, then it would be, I don't know, two days. If it's a kazais and a half, it would be one week. So I don't know how they, why they came with it, if it's an exact kazais, but I guess that is a very sh- clearly definable amount that will decompose within a few days and be less than a kazais, and you wouldn't have the danger of, of Tumas Mace anymore. So, Va'elu Hain Hasveikos. Then we mention in the price of the following are doubtful cases. Sochus or parois or besapras. The branches overhanging and the protruding rocks and besapras. Sochus, ilan hameisach ala oret. What's sochus? It's these trees where the branches spread over the land. So even if the mace. So obviously we're discussing a case where someone would. Again, a scenario where there's a chance that there could be a mace there. Um, or, or it would be a doubtful case, so you would know that there's a mace and other people might not know, then you have to mark that area. And if it's a tree that the mace might have been buried under, remember you have to mark around the whole tree, because Tumas Oha would spread through the tree. Parois, what are parois? That would be um, stones protruding from a wall. So again, it's a, 
it's a good place to bury a mace, so there could be a mace buried there, and then the tumult spread, so you would have to mark that area. Okay, base up pras. What's a base up pras? So Gedetran, we learned in the Mishnah, Ha'choresh es ha'kever, ha'rehu oise beis ha'pras. If someone plows over a grave, let's assume by mistake, but there was a grave in the middle of a field and he plowed over the grave, he makes that field into a beis ha'pras. V'kamahu oise, how, what bigger area becomes a beis ha'pras? Mole mana, a pharaoh's length, mea amma, which is a hundred amma. So if someone's plowing in a field and there's a grave and he plows over the grave, you have to be concerned that there's tumor within a hundred amos of that area. Um, what, what's the concern is because the plow is going to shatter the bones, etc., and it's, they're going to get spread throughout the field. So the Gemara asks, "Oh, based upras me matameh oil? Does the base upras transmit tumor through oil?" Again, remember the only concern why you would have to mark an area is because of tumor's oil. Because if you can see the bone, just don't touch it or move it. If it's buried, well then the only concern is oil. Bone fragments don't transmit tumor through oil. So base apras should not transmit tumor soil. If a person has, is in an emergency and they need to get to the base amigdash, like to offer their copper pesach, they can blow on the ground before them in the base apras, and then they can walk. Either the assumption is large pieces of bone or mace they will see, and smaller ones will just be blown out the way. Again, and anything underground doesn't transmit tumor. But oil. So we see it doesn't transmit too much oil. So Rabbi Yehuda bar Ami Mishmei de Ula Oma Beis Apras Shenidash Tohor. And yeah, another case is if you had a Beis Apras that many many people walked over, it's Tohor because you can assume all the bones are crushed into tiny little pieces that don't transmit too many anymore. So even if a person would touch one of those tiny tiny fragments of bone less than a body size, it wouldn't become Tomei. So so we have two cases where we're not concerned about a person walking over a Base apras because uh, for whatever reason they've got the bone shards that are visible out the way and we're not concerned about the ones that are buried because there's no tumas oil in a base apras. So Amra Papa Loikasha Kan Basodesha Ovid Bokever. Kan Basodesha Nechrash Bokever says no, the case where you have to worry about oil is where there was a grave lost in the field. And the case where you don't have to worry is the field where the, which you knew there was a kever, but it was plowed over. Again, because, so let's say you knew someone was buried in the field, but you don't know where they buried. Oh, there there's a concern of Thomas Ohel, because if you walk over the grave, over the mace is buried, you become Tomei. So Vesode She'ovad Bokever, it should be She'ovad Bokever, Beis Apras, Korile, a field where a, a court where a grave is lost is called a base apras. It seems a base apras is that special concept referring to a field that was plowed over and you got uh, the bones shattered all over. It says, no, it is. Where a grave is lost is also called the base apras. Vahotnan, as we learned in the Mishnah, Shlosha base apras, there are three types of base apras. Sodesh and Bokever, a field that a grave is lost in. Vasodesh and Bokever, a field where a grave was plowed over. The stay buchin and a crying field. Gmoraz, oh, my stay buchin, what is a crying field? Rabbi Yoshua bar Abba Mishmaidu Ula, Rabbi Yoshua bar Abba in the name of Ula, Omar, he said, it's the place where they leave the mace. What does it mean, leave the mace? It doesn't mean leave it, just leave it there. Um, Rashi explains, they, if they were transporting a mace to a far city, so those who would 
carry it to that place. And then they would meet the, I guess, the Hebra Kedisha from the other town in a field. And the Hebra Kedisha from that town would prepare the maize for burial and obviously then take it to the cemetery. And these are... Um, and they would maftir and they would depart from the maize. They would go back to their hometown. Oh, my timer. Now, why do we treat this, this, this wailing field where they would depart from the maize as a base apprasa? Because each owner gives up. What does that mean? The people who deliver the, gra- the, deliver the corpse, transport it to the new town, they kind of leave it all up to. The, oh well, the concern is that uh, over traveling, maybe it decomposed a little, maybe it got a bit rattled, and a limb detached itself. Let's say a finger became loose on the corpse, and then while they're busy working on it, that finger falls onto the ground. Now, the people who transported it to the city, they leave it up to the people who are taking it in to be buried to check everything, and the people who are. <coughs> Just uh, fixing it, relying on the people who delivered it to make sure that everything's there and nothing's been dropped. So they're each relying on the other. So there's a chance that a, a limb is lying there. So that's why it's a base apras. So you, based on how we've learned so far, is a field that has the grave plowed over doesn't need to be marked. Of a hot tanya, but you're telling me that's true. Of a hot tanya, we learned in a brisa. If you find a marked field and you don't know its nature, if it has trees, you can assume it's been plowed. If it does not have trees, you can assume that the field that a grave was lost in it, because no one's going to plow a field that has a grave in unnecessarily. But if it's a field with trees, there's a good chance it was plowed because it's essential for the trees that you plowed it. So Rabbi Yehuda Oimer, actually, he says, no, you can't treat it as a field that was, um, um, as a, you can't treat it as a field that a corpse was plowed there unless you have someone who knows the halachas, the Zokin or Talmud, who has a tradition what the f- nature of the field is. But either way, we see that they would mark a field that a corpse was plowed in. That's the whole question. You've got to work out, was it plowed there or is the grave lost there? If I'm worried about Tumas Ohel, can I walk through it or not? But we see that it was marked. So, Amara Papa Kitanya, he besodesh, Ovid Bokever, Tzaynuya. No. There it's talking about a field where the grave was lost and they would mark it. And the kever, since the kever was lost, that's why they marked the field. And now the question is, was it subsequently plowed over? If there are trees, you can assume that it was plowed. If there were no trees, you assume that the it was lost there. Oh, but... Yeah, I think let's leave it there. But where we're holding at the moment is this concern we're discussing. Remember, the primary time you'd want to mark a kever is if the is if there's Thomas oil. Because if there's not Thomas oil, you can generally look for the bone shards or etc. There are ways to get through the field. If it was a field that was plowed over, then you wouldn't necessarily need to mark the field because um, because you'll either see the bone fragments. Or what you don't see, and then you'll avoid them. And what you don't see, 
you will is buried. So you don't necessarily need to mark that field. And there's no tumus oil because we assume it's been plowed over and it's two smaller pieces. So now the question that we're going to leave off with is um, we brought a brysa which seems to say that they would mark fields that had a corpse, a base apras, where the corpse was plowed over. The question is, why would they mark those fields? And we'll continue from that point tomorrow.